This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, I'm Ollie Mann, and welcome to Why, the podcast that asks the big questions about science, from new technology to the oldest organisms and everything in between. <laughs> Today, we're looking at the science of flavour. In particular, our attraction to spicy food. Why do we love it so much? Across the world, from India to Peru, Ethiopia and Korea, foods laced with potent peppers consistently hit the top five lists of favourite dishes. And Indonesia's signature spicy dish, Samba Ulek, is so hot, you can choose to either use it as food or as a muscle rub. And here's the thing. Did you know that Tabasco is available in miniature bottles? I do, because I've got a friend who buys them online and then carries them round in her handbag so she can always spice up a sandwich or anything she thinks too bland. She says she's addicted to spicy food. But why? Although a carry-round pepper sauce bottle isn't on my essentials list, I do recognise that adding a drop of chilli heat to a meal, more often than not, elevates it, sometimes improving the taste, but also adding a layer of sensation. So what is it that makes spicy food so addictive? Well, the chemical compound to blame is capsaicin. In its pure form, it's classified as a poison, requiring goggles and gloves to be handled safely. And we call it hot because it tricks your nervous system into thinking you're overheating, triggering your heat receptors, and making your brain crank up your body's cooling mechanisms. That doesn't sound very beneficial to me, but there is medical evidence that putting your body through this particular experience can fight migraines and calm inflammation in the gut. So, is this a deep biological decision that overrides the discomfort of your taste buds? They experience a tingling, burning sensation. And then add to that the sweating and other unpleasant reactions. And I'm left wondering, why do we like it so much? It's still not clear. I think scientists are still debating that. And you know, as recently as a year or two ago, there were quite vigorous debates in the pages of scientific journals about why exactly that is. The best explanation I've heard so far, I think, is that it's very similar to riding a roller coaster. It gives you the sensation of danger. You get all these heat and burning and all the responses that come along with that that make you feel like you're in danger, but you're not really. Dr. Bob Holmes has written extensively on the science of flavor. The capsaicin in chili peppers actually triggers the nerves that sense heat. So it's not a metaphor to say that a hot pepper is hot. As far as your brain's concerned, it is. Uh, 
a lot of bottles. If you look at the messaging and the way that they choose their brands, the images have people with the sort of ears blowing out and stuff like that. You know, the sense is that you're very brave for eating this stuff. It's it's dangerous. It's edgy. But it isn't really. There isn't any actual danger. Not at hot sauce levels. You know, they do have these contests to see who can eat the hottest pepper. And at the extreme end of it, the I think it's the Carolina Reaper is now the hottest chili pepper in the world. Sometimes the people that win those chili eating contests leave the contest in an ambulance. I don't think it causes permanent damage, but you know there is some danger at the high end, but not so much at levels that most of us eat at. What is happening on a biological level when we eat spicy food? Basically, you're responding to heat. As you said at the beginning, the capsaicin in chili peppers actually triggers the nerves that sense heat. So it's not a metaphor to say that a hot pepper is hot. As far as your brain's concerned, it is. You're experiencing heat, and you get the same response that you get to heat. You sweat, causes increased blood flow to the skin, so your face flushes. You know, you get release of endorphins to cope with the pain and all of that. So it's, it's the very same response that you would get to heat. Endorphins feels like a an odd response to a threat. You know, endorphins are for fun, right? <laughs> Not for running away. Endorphins are for pain, primarily, I think. We need to deal with the pain. And so you get that endorphin high, which is really suppressing the pain, I think. I see. Okay, so it's really almost like an adrenaline shot. That's the thing. And again, back to the roller coaster, isn't it? Of like your body experiencing things on multiple levels. Yeah. And th there's actually some interesting data that suggests that for men in particular, the people that crave hot foods most also tend to be more macho. There's a macho element to eating hot chilies for men and not so much for women. I understand what you're saying. It's simulating heat, but it isn't heat. So what is it doing to my tongue? Well, there are nerves all over the surface of the body that sense heat. They're, they, they contain a receptor. If you want the name, it's called the TRIP-V1 receptor, which is used for measuring heat. So ordinarily, it tells you, if, if you put your hand on a hot stove burner, it tells you, this is bad, you're hurting yourself, and you pull your hand away. And what the capsaicin does is to reduce the temperature at which those nerves are activated so that they're activated at normal body temperature instead of at hot stove temperature. And so the message that goes to your brain is hot. This is hot. This temperature is dangerously hot. And it is exactly the same message that you would get from, the, you know, from putting your hand on a stove burner. And presumably, plants like chili plants have evolved to do that so that people don't eat them, right? <laughs> Why do humans like it? Yes, it seems pretty clear that that's what happens, is that the seeds within a chili pod are the seeds of the plant, and you want those dispersed and not destroyed. And little rodents would nibble on them and possibly eat the seeds. So the capsaicin is there to deter rodents. Birds, on the other hand, eat their food whole and don't destroy the seeds. And as it turns out, birds lack the ability to detect the heat from chilies. So, you know, your parrot could eat a habanero chili just fine with no problems at all because they don't perceive the heat. That's made me feel better now about giving my leftovers to my chickens. <laughs> yeah. I was never sure. You can give them the peppers, no problem. So the idea behind that presumably is that birds then distribute the seeds through their poop. Right. 
But other animals do dislike chili. So it's really just birds and humans, is it, that like the taste? Yeah. Humans are strange mammals because we don't avoid chilies. Well, some, some of us do, but many of us learn to like them, learn to crave them even. And there's an official scale, isn't there, for measuring the spiciness of peppers? That blew my mind, that there is actually a scientific measure. <laughs> Tell us about that. And it comes from, oh, more than 100 years ago, some pharmacist, I think he was, in the U.S. Midwest, which is not exactly a, a chili pepper hotbed, decided that he could he should be able to measure how hot a, a pepper is by seeing how, how much you have to dilute the pepper extract before people no longer perceive it as hot. Mm. So if you dilute it tenfold before you can't detect the heat, then he called it 10 units. He named them after himself. They're Scovilles. If you have to dilute it 100,000 times, that's 100,000 Scovilles. So the more you dilute it, the higher the number of Scovilles on the scale. The jalapeno pepper is about 5,000 Scovilles. Oh, wow. Okay. Habanero chili is one to 300,000. And uh, Carolina Reaper, which is last I heard was the hottest pepper around, is about two and a half million Scovilles which is getting pretty close to police-grade pepper spray, which also uses capsaicin. This is anecdotal and not scientific, but I know that there are certain peppers that, if I see them, and they're usually the bright green ones, if they're cut up and put on a pasta dish or something, I know that if I eat that, it will make me cough. Ooh. And it will, it will ruin the meal because I'll start hiccuping. I'll hiccup incessantly for like half an hour. And yeah. yet at home, I cook with chilies all the time and I like spicy foods. So it's obviously a particular type of one. Interesting. Yeah, and this is something that I'm, I think is still not fully understood, is differences between peppers. I mean, obviously, there's differences in the concentration of capsaicin that make one pepper hotter than another, but there are other qualitative differences from one chili to another. You know, Thai chilies, they say, attack quickly. Uh, habanero attacks really slowly. It builds over 20, 30 seconds before the heat is really intense. Some chilies... The heat is, they say it's sharp, and others it's flat. You know, it feels like pins on the tongue versus being painted on the tongue. And no one really knows why that is. There are some other capsaicin-related compounds that might have slightly different effects, but they tend to be fairly minor. So it's not clear that that explains these differences. Something that the food scientists call matrix effects might be important, which is that you know the capsaicin is in the cells of the pepper and it has to get out of them. So peppers with tougher cell walls might release the capsaicin more slowly as you chew. So if you are feeling the heat and you don't like it, the classic thing people say is milk or yogurt. Why is that? I think the explanation that people would give is that capsaicin is fat-soluble, and so if you have something with fat in it, it should wash the capsaicin off your tongue. So water doesn't help in that scenario? Water should not help, no. Okay, because that's the first thing you'd reach for, isn't it? Yeah, it is. that, You think hot, cool, right? Yeah. Of course, by the time it's burning, it's already entered the cells of your of your tongue. And so washing off you know, rinsing shouldn't make a difference anymore, uh, except for washing off any remaining capsaicin that hasn't yet been absorbed. So it'll prevent things from getting worse, probably won't, won't make your tongue feel better immediately. Mm -hmm. 
So, people who love a bit of danger are more likely to seek out the thrill of spicy food, but be careful, as if you go too far, you can't wash the burn away because it's already absorbed into your taste buds' cells. But what about people who can't get enough of spicy food? Is there any evidence that's because they've built up some kind of tolerance? My friend who I talked about earlier is Malaysian, and she carries around that bottle of Tabasco I was mentioning because that's what her mother has always done as well. There's a sense that if you're from parts of the world where hot food comes from, you will somehow naturally be able to build up more of a tolerance if you're exposed to spicy food every day, if it's in your culture. Is that true? I think so. A couple lines of evidence. One is that in the laboratory, people actually use capsaicin to induce nerve damage, presumably higher levels of it. So that does suggest that it can cause some dulling of sensation. But the other piece of evidence is, you know, if, if you talk to people from high chili cultures who move to low chili places, they often talk about losing their tolerance for heat. I remember a Thai student who was an undergraduate in Arizona, where I did some graduate work, who was living in the dorms and said, the food is so bland. And I just know when I go home to visit my mother at holiday time, I'm going to die because it's just so hot. I've lost my tolerance for it. And I've heard Indian people say the same thing, that you know, when I go home to visit my family, it's going to be too hot for a few weeks. Which maybe puts pay to the myth then that it's ethnically based, that it's not that if you're ethnically Indian, you're going to have a higher tolerance. It's that if you're in India, there's just more hot food around. Right. It, I think it's more experience than it is uh, genetic background. I don't think there's very good evidence for big genetic differences in ability to perceive heat. Everyone's heat sensors are pretty much the same. And if you do enjoy the sensation of spicy food and you crave it and you want it more and more, where else can you find it? We've, we've talked a lot about chilies on this show, but what else? Several other things, ginger, wasabi, horseradish, those actually use a different receptor. The chili receptor is TRIP-V1. There's another heat receptor called TRIP-A1, which responds to horseradish and wasabi. Curiously, that's also the heat receptor that rattlesnakes use to detect the heat of their prey. Wow. Yeah, the TRIP-A1 is also activated by olive oil. Olive oil tasters talk about their oils being one cough or two cough oils with the two cough oils being better. So if you take a sip of olive oil, it should catch you at the back of your throat. That's a better olive oil. I love it. So if, if I'm noticing the difference between different qualities of olive oil, I'm using the same taste receptor that a snake does when identifying the heat of its prey. That's what you're telling me. Yes, the same heat receptor that a snake does. Yeah. I'm fascinated by these kind of weird facts that you can stumble across in your work looking into the science of flavor, what else have you discovered that's surprising like that? I think the really surprising thing is how complicated flavor perception is. I mean, flavor involves taste, which is probably the least of it. That's sweet, sour, salty, bitter, umami. And it involves smell. It involves touch, which is the sorts of heat perception that go into spicy food, but also texture and things like that. But even things like sound and sight and expectations make a huge difference. I mean, the brain actually responds differently to wine if people are told that it's an expensive wine. Uh, their pleasure centers light up more if they if they take the same wine being told it's it's expensive versus being told it's cheap. 
one of the famous experiments, people crunched Pringles while listening to the sounds of their munching through headphones. And unknown to them, the researchers twiddled the dials to change the playback. And if they played back the crunching sounds louder, people liked the potato chips better. They thought they tasted fresher. So everything goes into flavor. It uses an enormous amount of the brain when you're perceiving flavor. I suppose as well, it's, it's sort of a trick our body's playing on us in a way, isn't it? Because our body needs food. And so it's using all our senses to get us to eat more of it. Yes. It's probably more so for us than for some other animals because we are omnivores. We eat so many different things. We need to know what's there. We need to recognize something that we've had before. And presumably if we've had it before and it didn't kill us, we ought to prefer it. We ought to like it better next time. So yes, and flavor is this enormous mechanism to help us eat the right things. But I suppose we don't know that any two people experience flavor in the same way anyway, do we? We can't prove that. Almost certainly they don't. A large part of our perception of flavor is smell. And each of us has like 400 different odor receptors. But your 400 aren't the same as my 400. So it probably is true that everyone lives in a unique flavor world. We don't have any way of measuring how unique it is, but since you have different smell receptors than I do, you're bound to perceive things differently than I do. And you have different expectations, different experience, and that should mean that your perceptions of flavor are different too. So, humans appear to be the only animals attracted to the taste of chilies. We've learned what a unit of Scovilles is, and I've learned I can continue giving my leftover curry to my chickens. That's it from us today on Why. Thank you, Dr. Bob Holmes. My pleasure. We'll be back putting the spice into scientific inquiry very soon. Follow the podcast so you never miss an edition, and follow us on social media too. Links are in the show notes. I've been Ollie Mann. Asking why. See you next time. Why was written and presented by Ollie Mann. The lead producer was Anne Marie Luff, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. Artwork is by James Parrott. Theme music is by DJ Food. Why? is a Podmasters production.